Bibles and turn to James. Um, we'll get there in a minute. Let me just try and pull that together for you. We sent a group over to Uganda um, because there's incredible need. Uh, if you've ever seen the, the video, uh, The Invisible Children, or heard of the Lord's Resistance Army, or seen the kinds of things that you saw in the movie Blood Diamond, uh, where there's child soldiers, people going in and taking and kidnapping kids and using them as child soldiers. A lot of that was happening in northern Uganda. Uh, the country is devastated by that. It was devastated by Idi Amin um, 30 years ago. It was devastated by AIDS more recently. Uh, and there's just incredible need there. And so this team went to Uganda, and the charge was basically find a village for Antioch um, to sponsor. Um, find a village that's open through Africa Renewal Ministries where there's a good pastor, there's a good church, and where we can build a long-term relationship here. Because the goal is not to just send money and create dependence. It's, it's to have a strategic relationship where we can go over and help people um, get educated or learn how to, do, um, to farm or sell products or, or do different kinds of things that way, even just to get them clean water. Um, or to take care of medical needs. And so the idea is a long-term relationship. And so what, I've always, what, what we've always talked about as leadership is that missions for us isn't about hammering 12 nails one time. Because I think sometimes we get scattered that way. And so we'll hit 12 nails one time, and you never really drive something home. And so we kind of went into this and said, we're going to take and hit one nail 12 times, and we're going to really make a difference. We're going to zone in on something and try and have an impact. And so they went over, and the goal is to come back with a village. And it was kind of funny when they came back, um, like, so what's our village? And, and they just were all confused. Um, and there's no clear sense of anything. And I was just like, well, you guys failed me. You know, um, you're supposed to get a village. You know, and it was funny because over the week, as everyone talked, what God kind of did was we had the wrong idea initially. And they basically um, threw everybody kind of independently. And then they got together as a group and talked, realized that what God had put on their heart was not a, a village, a, a typical village, but um, Bethany Village, which is the orphan village. That, that that was the place where they were impressed with who was running it. And that was the place where they felt like there was immediate needs that we could meet. And that was the place that they kind of just had that holy discontent, that, that need to be involved in ministry there, if you know what I'm talking about. And so it was kind of funny, and it emerged over a week and a half after they got back that this was really what we were called to. And the fun thing about that is there's immediate needs that we can meet. Uh, it's right, it's close, fairly close to the the hub and the capital, so there's some different things that we can do. If we send a team into Bethany Village, we can also do some conferences and do some different things with Africa Renewal Ministries in, in the, the capital there. And then eventually, if we meet a pastor in a village that we we really feel like, wow, that's a great opportunity, it's something that we could move into and also take on. So it's kind of a great starting point for us. The other thing that's kind of ironic about it um, and if you're in James, we'll, you'll see it pretty quickly, but um, it's, it's purely orphans and widows. That's really what it's all about in Bethany Village. And so we're, just to, to wrap this part up real quickly, and then we're going to get into the text here in James, we're going to send a trip back probably around 12 to 15 people. It's going to be in February, which will come up pretty quick. Uh, and we'll have the date nailed down probably in the next two weeks. And so in about two weeks, you'll get a prayer card uh, that you can put on your fridge with the dates for our next trip, and it'll just remind you to pray about Bethany Village, 
where there's widowed moms taking care of up to 15 orphaned kids and trying to um, teach them and educate them and, and create their own living um, and not just live dependently, but to actually farm land and produce. And, and you can begin praying about that. Uh, shortly after we give you the date of the trip, we're going to have an application. So if God is stirring you, um, and I'll just kind of back up for two seconds the idea of, of going to Uganda is to help Uganda. And so it's going to be a maturing process for our church as we, as we have to check our own motives and as we have to make tough decisions and as people have to, in some sense, hold up their hand and say, you know what, I'll wait. You know, I really wanted to go, but I can see that, that this isn't strategic. And so I'll wait. Because the goal isn't about any one of us. The goal is about what we can do over there and glorify God that way. And so it's going to kind of be a, a mature thing that we're going to walk through year after year as we take these trips and work on these projects. It's about $25,000 to build a hospital and only about $20,000 to build a whole school that will house up to hundreds of students. And we've got a golf tournament coming up in October that's going to fundraise for this and we're projecting that we might be able to pull in about 15,000 profit on that golf tournament. And so, and just to just to frame it for you, we might in a year's time or, or two years' time be able to build a hospital. And we just send less people because we're going to put the money towards, towards building something there that's going to stay once we leave. Does that make sense? And it's about that. So um, you're going to get the dates. And then we're going to have applications for those of you that really are feeling called to go on this trip and that this is something that God has, has got for you. And we're going to try and um, weed it down to that, that team of 15 that will be going in February. Um, and so we'll tell you a little bit more when we're, when we're giving out that application, kind of who we're looking for. And, who, and, uh, and yeah, and you can take through and pray through that. So I'm kind of excited. It's going to be in fast forward here. But here's the text in James. I've kind of got to hurry, but uh, this is one of those things that my wife and I call um, a coincidence with a capital C. We, we picked this date for the Uganda Report because it fit best with everybody's schedules. Everyone was going to be in town and things like that. And we're going through the book of James. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, all of a sudden I kind of looked where we were headed and, and realized that today we were going to be talking about uh, James chapter 27, or verse 27, sorry. And it says, I'd be, yeah. Chapter 20, that's a big book. Uh, verse 27, and it says this. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I just want to take the last half of that and lop it off and say, you know what? Uh, there's a defensive game to, to living a good life and walking with God. There's a defensive side to that. You keep things out, you don't sin. If you're here and you're in sin this morning, you just stop. You don't do it. If it's a tough thing that you're in, you're smart enough, we're all smart enough, you go find help, you find people that you can talk to, and you begin charting a course to get yourself out of sin. It's, it's, it, that's the deal there. There's a defensive side of it. You can't be pulling one direction on a rope and, and God wants you to go. I mean, it's, it's unequally yoked. It can't happen. If we're going to walk with God, we've got to be pure, and it's a defensive side to this. So that's that. So let's talk about the offense side, the doing side. And that's just the phrase I read again. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, this is why it's a, a coincidence. A coincidence with a capital C to my wife and I means something that you kind of chuckle at and you go, that's a God story. God's somehow involved in that. Otherwise, it's just too ironic or it doesn't make sense. So it's a coincidence with a capital C. What, what the team de- kind of came back and said we're going to do is we're going to go to Bethany Village where there's just orphans and widows, and that's just what it is. And they're trying to eke out a living, and we're going to go in there. And I kind of thought, well, that's really funny that that's what we're talking about. Now, what does this mean, look after orphans and widows? And why is that pure religion? First thing we've got to realize is um, James is talking to you. You know, it's uncomfortable when you sit in a big group to be singled out. It's really uncomfortable. I hate doing it because um, you make people uncomfortable, and I like people to like me. And so I don't want to make people uncomfortable all the time. Does that make sense? But James is trying to talk right to you and to say, this is what pure religion is for you. When we started out the book of James, and James said, consider your trials pure joy, there was a you element in that. If you just cordon yourself off, I, going through my difficulties and my trials, I need to learn how to consider that pure joy because God is doing something in my life. Okay? And this book is written to you for you to walk away from and to look at yourself and say, um, I want to be where God is and, and James is going to help me get there. So he's talking to individuals, not to a church. It doesn't do you any good to just connect with an organization or a great church and be able to sit um, in Red Robin or Baja Fresh and, and brag on your church. It's a killer church. We look after orphans and widows in their distress. And it doesn't really do it. it, it so I, I, I need you to grasp this, that it's coming right at you. Now, why orphans and widows? And it's simply this. Um, God is all about love. And so when he's talking about pure religion, he's talking about the best manifestation of love. This is love on steroids. This is my kind of love. This is God-sized love. This is the whole deal here. And it's love where it's 100% zero. Where you give, but that person cannot give back. You don't get anything out of it. There's no mercenary um, motive to it. It's just love manifesting itself. That's gospel love. God, we cannot give him anything, but he loves us. And we get to accept that. That's grace. That's the gospel. And when we love orphans and widows, we are living out the gospel. And we are loving where the people, the very people, that they've got 0%. They can't meet us. It's not 50-50, meet me in the middle. they got nothing to give back. And it purifies our motives and it shows that we really have our heart in the right place. This is pure religion. And we don't do that. We don't normally do that as people, but yet we think we're loving people. Why? It's real simple. Um, Because we've got a lot of great relationships, and we love those people. I have a lot of great friends in this room, and and we've got this great 50-50 relationship going. You know, I love them and do things for them, and, and they love me back, and they do things for me back. And we love that relationship and that friendship, and it's good, and God created that too. It's not bad. It's good. But we get trapped into thinking that just because we're enjoying friendship, that somehow our heart is 100% pure and we understand grace. And so Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, you know, he, he I mean, Jesus had stress headaches. You got to understand that. 
He had stress headaches. He was dealing with people that just couldn't get it. And so the phrase kept coming up, you don't have the ears to hear, you don't have the eyes to see, you just don't have the paradigm to grasp what I'm talking about. And he said, you love people that love you back. What good is that? And so he would tell parables about you know, good Samaritans and things like that that understand what true love is when there's nothing someone can give back to you. And so James is saying pure religion, the real deal, understanding the gospel is when we give 100% because we are motivated by, compelled by the love of God for us. And that is how we show him our appreciation is by entering into that and doing the same kind of thing. And we look at needs, we have his heart, and we go after those things. So pure religion is looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, where are you going to find orphans and widows? I think in Uganda is, is probably one of the greatest places to start. There's a lot of them. Okay, but that's once a year. Hopefully you're praying. Hopefully you're, you're thinking about how can I be involved. Hopefully you're going to end up going someday. But that's a once-a-year trip and a wonderful relationship. But remember, James is coming right at you and saying, where is your heart? Where is it? And when you see needs and when you see people that are awkward or have nothing that you want or are giving you headaches or whatever, can you really well up love, God love, that would take care of that person or show them favor or whatever, even if there's nothing they can give back to you. Can we do that? And James is, is hitting us and he's saying, this is an everyday thing. This is pure religion. This is, if you want to think you're a loving person, if you want to think that God somehow has, is pleased with you, that all these, this is what it's all about. This is where your heart has to be. And so for me, this is a huge deal. Because um, I think churches don't, you know, this is my, I don't think churches structure themselves to have this be the dominant reality. I think churches structure themselves with programs and with great little things to build great friendships and great community and to have great options to do with my family or, or for me. And it's wonderful and, and, and it's great to just, you know, take. And I think that's how churches just end up structuring themselves because that's America and that's, that's natural life and it's whatever it is. And we can't be that. Like, we cannot be that. We, we have our friendships. We have our small groups. We have these other things. But somehow, some way, we have to begin to identify with the heart of God and that there's, it's not static. It's not, it's not just sitting there. It's not text on paper. We don't memorize this verse because we're going to be tested next week and, oh, I got the answer. It's something we do. It's something we live out. We've got to be about this. We've got to. And so the, the, the craziest thing was I got a book one time someone sent me, and it was titled this. Was, I, I don't even know the pastor, so I can't make fun of him. But it was a book on church. And the front picture was a huge building in Texas. And the title of the book was When God Builds a Church. And then you flip the book over, and it's got like a second kind of subheading on the back of the book. And it says, Eight Steps to Growing, um, growing a Big Church. And I just, I mean, I, I, for months, I just would, <laughs> who missed that? Am I the only one? What's going on here? Does anyone see this? This is kind of funky. Did God really build that church or was 
marketing gizmos and manipulation or business principles doing that? I mean, did we just employ good business principles to grow a good organization, effective organization? Or did God, through the movement of his Holy Spirit, inflame these people's hearts so that they moved out into the world and carried out the gospel message in in working clothes, right? Service really means just love and working clothes, right? And so is that really what was happening? And somehow, in some weird way, this church or, or whatever just grew, this community, did God grow the church? Did God build it? Or were we just following a recipe? And so when I was was thinking about this and praying about it this week, I just, you know, I think you probably know this, but there is no church in America I'd rather be at. There's, I mean, there's no church in America I'd rather be at. I don't care what the paycheck is. I don't care what the size is. I know God is moving in this church. So why would I be anywhere else, right? And so my prayer was just this, that God someday let it be said about this community, however big we grow. Whatever happens, I don't care, right? I don't have some benchmark on my wall, you know, in, in time. I, whatever happens, my prayer is just this, that, that people would look at Antioch, this Christian community, and say, God grew that. It's evident that God grew that. Those people caught fire for love, for, for being selfless, for giving for sending for doing and and they started doing homeless things there's a we're going to hear in a couple weeks two guys in the congregation within two days of each other never met each other were woke you know kind of god speaking to their hearts about doing um homeless social type work in bend and they got put together with each other and now there's this whole movement going in conjunction with shepherd's house and some other stuff right it didn't come from a pastor. It didn't come from anything else. It came from some people listening to God and letting themselves be moved. And if that right there, the people that listen and do, I had people this week coming to me and saying, we're going to lead small groups and we're going to start pulling these people together. We're going to start doing ministry because God is putting it on our hearts. And I'm getting to see that happening everywhere. And if that happens at a large degree and we're able to actually love on people and this community grows because of that energy, that's all I pray for. You know, 10 years, 20 years, I don't care how long it is, but that we would look back and say, when God builds a church, it's not because of marketing. When God builds a church, it's not because of manipulation. When God builds a church, it's because people are getting the whole idea of what pure religion looks like. And they're not just answering it on a, on, a, on a test or a quiz as if it's just about head knowledge. They're living it out and they're doing it. And so somehow as a community, we've got to do this. But the challenge to each of us this morning is, are, are we going to be a selfish type of a Christian where religion meets my needs? I come here because it meets these needs. Or are we going to try and rise above that? Not get rid of it, but rise above it and add this dimension of selflessness where I come because that is the community where I get paired up with other people and we together are able to impact the world and make a difference. And I've said it before, maybe some of you haven't heard me say it, but when we started this church, it was with the idea that we could be a church idealistic enough to think that we could still change the world. 
And the reason I think that's okay to be idealistic that way is because if it was impossible to change the world, then God wouldn't have told us to try. Does that make sense? He's told us to try. So let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we celebrate what you, whatever you're doing with this community. Father, I look at people in this church and I um, am humbled at their hearts and their level of sacrifice. And uh, I just pray that you would bless those people, that you would reward those that really throw their hands up in front of themselves and say yes to whatever you're trying to do. That they're going to put all their energy and time and everything else, their heart, into doing your work. That that's dominant in their thinking. Father, bless those people. And I just pray for all of us. Just stir in us. Let this be a place where when we walk in, there's a buzz. There's a buzz about what you are doing in this world through us. And so I pray for that, Father. May you get the glory from it. You and you alone. In Christ's name, amen.